Layer by layer, day by day, the world, our markets, and your life unfold. Welcome to the Laminate Money Podcast, a show dedicated to exploring our world, the financial markets, and what it takes to build a great financial life. Both Tom Statham and Jacob Bradkey work for Fiel Capital, and all opinions expressed by Tom and Jacob or any podcast guest are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of Fiel Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Tom and Jacob are registered representatives of Sanctuary Securities and investment advisor representatives of Sanctuary Advisors. Fiel Capital is a DBA of Sanctuary Securities and Sanctuary Advisors. All right, welcome everybody to the Laminate Money Podcast. I am not Carissa and I am not Tom. I am Jacob and both of them will be back next week, but Carissa's in Thailand, Tom's still in Florida. Today, you've met both of these guys, Dan twice in the last two, three weeks and Noah once in the last three weeks. So we've got them both on today and they're going to spread their wisdom to you all. So welcome guys. Thank you. Glad to be here. This is like when you go to a sports game and the whole the bench warmers all get to play on the field, you know? <laughs> I get it. That's a good analogy, not going to lie. How are you doing today, Noah? Pretty good. Pretty good. I'm happy good. to be here. All right. We named this episode The Economy That Won't Stop Spending, and we'll get into that a little bit more. But basically, a lot has changed economic-wise, interest rate-wise, even inflation-wise in the last week, week and a half. And that's really what we want to talk about today, but we'll also talk about U.S. debt, the housing market, that Ohio chemical spill. Pretty interesting. The end of Q4 earnings. I think we're almost through that. So it should be a good show. And yeah. we'll kick it off with the good here. So we're going to jump right into that, the economy that won't stop spending headline. Consumers are, so retail sales, that's what I'm trying to say, climbed 3% in the month of January. That is amazingly fast growth, especially after two consecutive prints of negative month-to-month growth. And basically, the markets took that as, oh, well, people aren't strapped for cash. People are still spending. The economy's not in the dumps. Like That means inflation can still kind of come back. And you started seeing instantly rates going higher and the stock market either just flat or, or starting to decline. So, And then that kicks off the no landing. Which is crazy because now the scenario that we've had for the last, or the scenario that people have been talking about is, oh, are we going to have a hard landing or are we going to have a soft landing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and really, I mean, for anyone who's listening who maybe hasn't listened to the podcast before too, it's like all we mean when we talk about hard landing and soft landing is, you know, the Fed is raising these rates, trying to slow the economy down. Is all of a sudden the economy just going to hit a stopping point where it's yeah. just a nosedive down? That would be a very hard landing. Or are we actually going to control it into a really soft landing? And uh yeah, yeah, based off uh, the consumer spending numbers, though, from the previous, like, well, that was a month. Was that one month? One, one month, quarter? yeah. Yeah, one that month. was a one month 3% spending. 3% in one month. 3% in a month. Crazy. So, in other words, consumers are still spending, still spending, which makes it seem like maybe we're not even coming in for a landing yet. We're still on cruise control. You know, this is still our cruising exactly. altitude. And you add that with the uh, 517,000 jobs added in January. And... The inflation print that came out that was 0.5% month to month, which is actually pretty high comparatively to the last seven months. And then you still have annual year over year that just slightly declined. So there is a lot of room for the Fed to need to either hold rates where they're at, where the market was saying that ain't going to happen. They're not going to be holding rates that long. You're going to see some sort of recession that's going to have to, there's going to force them to drop Mm -hmm. rates. It's not really the case anymore. The, the market's kind of like, well, maybe they weren't so crazy. Maybe they weren't so bonkers. And 
and they actually can hold rates at five and a quarter right. for seven months before right. they have to drop them. Right. I mean, who knows? Because you have a seven hundred or seven thousand percent relative gain on interest rates in one year. How does that not damage the economy? Who knows? But for the last two years, we've just had a crazy economy. Right, right. And filling the economy with what, three, three trillion dollars or three and a half trillion dollars? You know, pumping closer to ten. There you go. Ten yeah. trillion. Okay. That's a much bigger number. The, the three, <laughs> three and a half trillion now, wasn't that the stimulus dollars themselves? Yeah, just so, stimulus was around three. So there was like, there's two, there's two sides. There's like the actual paychecks, yep. like government to consumers. And then there was the PPP loans. Right. Which a lot mm -hmm. of those even got forgiven. So. Yep. Yeah. Which is crazy. And, and again, I, I was going to point out the other thing that you always, that, that we look at and Jacob monitors this weekly is M2 money supply. Right? It's just how much cash is in the economy, savings accounts, bank deposits, money market funds. Um, just it's an overall look at cash, and that number is still ridiculously high. Yeah, which is probably part of the explanation of why people are still spending. Yeah, I mean, there's still just cash in the economy. Right, money is not in short supply today. But M2 money supply, although it is 35 percent higher than it was two than three years ago, now it is it is on the decline. There you go. Yeah. So it is. It's moving. It's finally moving the like other for direction the, for the first time in history. M2 money supplies on the decline, which is interesting. All right, Noah, you want to kick us off with the bad? Yep. Uh, household debt jumped at the fastest quarterly pace in 20 years. Um, it jumped to $16.9 trillion. Which is very interesting. So if you think about household debt, I think most of it, it's like 75% of it is going to be mortgage. Mm -hmm. Like $11.9 trillion. And mm -hmm. when you have interest rates on mortgage debt, that's just insanely high. But then you also have the pandemic, which just turbocharged a bunch right. of debt. Now people are just kind of like, well, we need cash. We mm -hmm. like because on the bottom of the barrel, like people will spend through sixteen hundred dollars, thirty two hundred dollars, right? That will happen. And then you just have more people that maybe did save it. So Yep. And I think there's a tendency here too. It's like when when cash is as flush as it is, when people are when people are as flush with cash as they are, that's a better way to put it. You feel stable. Like you feel stable, you feel secure, like, oh, I've got cash. Yeah, I can take on some debt. That's totally fine. So, you know, that you have that in and of itself, just uh, probably motivating people to take on debt. And then, like you said, you have the, the pandemic just turbocharging the home prices. So then people start buying homes that instead of, you know, them costing $200,000 uh, mm -hmm. uh and I guess I'm speaking in relative terms, regional terms here, Fargo-Moorhead, but, you know, instead of buying a house that cost you $200,000 in 2019, you know, they're willing to pay $300,000 for it today. Um, and that is... That's going to increase those balance sheets real fast on the debt side. For sure. And this is the, so as, as Noah said, the fastest quarterly pace in 20 years. So credit card debt increase, auto loan debt. And actually I saw something interesting, auto loans, auto loan defaults have been just rocketing mm -hmm. like versus their seasonal, like seasonality in there. Like they've just kind of been on a straight line up, which is not great. And it's just interesting. Yeah. And any Oh, these two things. So the good and the bad, how, like people are spending right. 3% month to month retail sales. That's crazy. That's crazy money. And then you have a debt increasing at the fastest quarterly pace in 20 years. They're correlated. They have to be correlated to these, like people are spending, but they're spending on credit. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that yeah, cannot yeah. be a good thing for the economy. Right. So that, that almost signals right. like, oh, there will be a recession because people will right. eventually run out of credit power and they won't be able to continue spending how they were or yeah. want to. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's that's next level thinking. That and that's the type of thinking that that's I the type of thinking for. we need to have. That's <laughs> right. That's the type of thinking you get paid for. Um, I was going to say on the on the bad too, the household debt side. 
like any any thoughts or comparisons on how you know this pace increase compares to 2008 like 2007 Ooh. 2008 that whole period yeah way too different or well yeah the the, the pace in 2006 or 2005 to 2008 obviously was very fast right that was a ton of debt was added and if you actually look at the household debt like a, a chart of it which maybe I'll throw this up here I'm editing this one by the way so it might not look so good <laughs> um, maybe I'll throw this up, but you actually see 2005 to 2008, there's a huge spike. And then we actually just recently, maybe in the last five years, hit back to that household debt spike that we saw in 2008. So 15 years had gone by. Um, and most of that obviously was mortgage debt. And then mm -hmm. once all that all collapsed, then there was no more mortgage debt because everybody went bankrupt. So very interesting. I, it does say 20 years. So 20 years would put you back to, what is that? To 2002. So it, it, it obviously must be faster, seasonally adjusted. Um, than it was in 2008, which is interesting, but that also means like, who knows, maybe that's just because we have larger numbers. So, yeah. 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 Fascinating. Should we move on to the comical here? Yeah. Dude, yeah. this is, this is great. I want to read this headline. At least one car per day crashes into a 7-Eleven out of 100 daily storefront crashes. So if you think about that, a hundred daily storefront crashes and one of those every single day is a 7-Eleven. That means 7-Eleven makes 1% of the market share of storefront crashes. That's nuts. Is this know. just an indication of how many 7-Elevens there are? I'm going to actually Google this right now. Yeah. Um, because I feel like there's not that many. At least there's not that many around here. Yeah, no, we don't, we don't have many 7-Elevens in this area. I think if you get out towards even like Minneapolis, the city's area, you start to see a few more. Even that though, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure on that even. And is this, yeah. the other thing I was wondering on the statistic, is this just U.S.-based or is this just all storefront crashes across the globe? I think this is just U.S. That, yeah. Yeah, that it, has, it has to just be U.S. Okay, there's 75 or 9,500 7-Eleven stores in the okay. U.S. And I'm guessing if each chain has about that much, then maybe, but like, I, I still feel like there's, there's larger chains. Yep, yep. Um, it's just kind of crazy that, 7-Eleven seems to be the one that gets crashed into. Yeah, that is interesting. I wonder how their parking layout like compares to another convenience store. I mean, there's plenty of convenience mm. stores. You know, you've got those, you have those parking spots right in front of the doors, you know? Like we got holidays all over the place in this, uh, this part of the country. And, uh, you know, there's so many people moving in and out of these parking lots. People kind of whip in and it's like, hey, you want that parking spot right by the door? Like, phew. You gotta be quick to snag that yeah. thing. So I don't know if that has something to do with it. I don't know what the statistics are on parking lot crashes, but it's high. Oh yeah, I've actually wondered that before too. Is like, what's the percentage of parking? Uh, what's the percentage of crashes that take place in parking lots versus on normal roads? You know, just like on a on a city street. It's got to be like two to one. Two two parking lot crashes to every one. Double seems valid. I don't if know. If anybody it, knows, send us a message. It might be more. Who knows. <laughs> Anyway, that is a great that is a great comical point though. All right. So this is this is a head scratcher. And we saw there's two data points here. So New York City office vacancy, office occupancy is like like 50%. Yeah. It's 48 is what I saw last oh, week. 48. 48. So not even not even quite 50%. And because of that, like remote work is costing Manhattan more than 12 billion dollars every single year. And that's mostly because the people that would generally work in these offices don't go down to the street buy food, you know, from the stand down there. I'm not sure, so sure how New York City exactly works, but that's what kind of the article is talking about. And so $12 billion a year off of basically GDP, it's costing Manhattan that. 
because people aren't coming back to work. And the, the main question is like, why? Like, is there really that much lever leverage in the labor market that they can just say, yeah, I'm not coming back. I saw a headline this, this morning that Amazon is requiring people to come back to work three days a week. Mm. What was it before that? Because I thought that a lot of companies are already switched to at least three days. Like was yeah. Amazon just yeah. one that was like, no, you don't have to come back even one day a week. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, interesting comment on the the real estate and and on Amazon actually. So when we got, uh, when me and my wife Faye got married, we did our honeymoon in Seattle. And first time I'd been to Seattle. And the thing that shocked me the most was when you walked in downtown, uh, downtown Seattle, Amazon owned like every skyscraper on like a nine block grid. I mean, it was just massive. Wow. The number of buildings that they owned is just insane. So you think about just the sheer size of the real estate. And now all of a sudden, if they're, they have all that that they're financing and they're paying to buy those buildings yeah. and not have them filled with workers... Definitely a lot of incentive there for Amazon and the board and and and, and anyone in charge of those decisions to try to get those those buildings filled. But either, yeah, that's, well, that's crazy. Two things: either they sell the buildings or they get the buildings filled. Right, 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 or, right. Or, or even lease it out or however they do it. I guess mm -hmm. they don't necessarily have to bring their own workers back into it. But like, mm -hmm. if Amazon if Amazon's not going to use it, then whatever. I was just mm -hmm. listening to an interesting podcast over the weekend talking about uh, like kind of work from home things and how a lot of people were you know, kind of rigid to get, get people to not even work from home and to begin with kind of like do the two weeks and then not, not even take, like not even stay at home after that. And then most people kind of were like, yeah, no, I've got kids and I'm not coming back. And what are you going to do? Fire me because I know that you can't find another person. Yeah. Like, okay, well there you go. That's some serious leverage. And that'll, I mean, that seems legit. Like I don't Hugely. think that that's going to go away. Hugely. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder too, if the, um, you know, if the 12 million, the $12 billion you're referencing if that really is tied to uh, particularly just like those 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., you know, business transactions that are taking place down on the streets where people are buying food, people are going to a store, people are shopping, where where are those transactions taking place now? Is it taking place at like, are the grocery stores winning? You know, are the grocery stores coming out way ahead because people are just buying food from grocery stores now that they're working from home? Uh, but but yeah, I mean, I would imagine it's spread it, out. It probably means Miami's doing better. Austin's doing better. Mm -hmm. Houston's doing better. Um, a lot of the cities where everybody moved to, even Boise, stuff mm -hmm. like that, like probably where people move, those cities have shown to just increase yeah. revenues. And then you also lose the tax dollars, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. If Very people true. move out of state even, then you don't even get to tax their income. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Not so good. Anyway, Noah, you want to kick us off with the first what went on? Yep. Um, inflation, uh, point. 5% on the month, um, 6.4% if you annualize it um, over the last month, I guess. Yeah. 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 Over the year, 6.4%. So just this little tiny tick down from 6.5%. And I saw this. When I saw this, I was immediately like, oh boy, the market's going to just take a tanker today. Because this was last Tuesday. I was like, there ain't, there's no way that this is going to be fine for the, for the markets. And then the market was fine. It literally did not fall. And so I was like, well, this is weird. So then an hour later it fell and then it came back. And then I think it actually ended the day lower. But like it, it had these swings from 1% down to 1% up, back to 1% down. And I was like, this is just crazy. And I think really what gave the market some optimism is that instead of shelter inflation continuing to rise, so it like, last month, so in 
this would be the December print. So the end of 2022, shelter inflation was 0.8% month to month. In January, it was 0.7%. So it actually saw the first slowdown since, since the CPI started, like, was hot. It was actually slowing down. And that's the part that the Fed is watching closely. That's the part that all of us are watching closely. I think that's really what drew investors to say, oh, this is a good thing. We're actually seeing shelter inflation falling. And so that was the key point. But the other part of this is 0.5% is a scary number. Mm-hmm. You take 0.5% and you know, send that out 12 months and you're still going to have 4% inflation. Right. Or more, right. whatever yeah. it is. Six, it, six it, you'd be at yeah, six. six. Yeah, Four. you'd be at 6%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, which is not good. Right. You don't want 6% inflation. Right. And even, again, you, you take that back to like, how, if you make this really, really practical, it's like, well, why is that bad? It's like, well, because my salary only increases by two and a half or three percent every year. It's like, that's why this hurts people. You know, that's why mm-hmm. that can be bad. Um, I mean, well, that's one really like practical reason. Right. For the, for the actual person, that's, that's one. It eats, it eats mm-hmm. away at your real spending mm-hmm. capabilities. But what it also causes you to do, and this is why inflation is a terrible thing, is it causes you to say, I know that prices will be X higher next month or next year. I need to buy today. Which what that does is that creates demand and people all of a sudden say, I need to go buy stuff. And so that creates demand for stuff, which causes the prices to go up. Yeah. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy of like, people think the prices are going to go up, so they buy today, which causes more demand for stuff today, which causes the prices to go up today, making prices higher a year from now. Yeah. And so people continually do that. And that's why inflation is generally really bad. Also, the reason why deflation is bad. People think that you don't have to spend because next month it'll be 2% cheaper. They won't spend. They'll wait until next month making things cheaper yet. So yeah. then all of a sudden people have to get laid off because companies can't produce at those lower prices. So they have to cut actual expenses and people get cut. And then that's what happened in the Great Depression. Anyway. Yeah. Well, so uh, it, economic recession. Inflation, deflation. Very interesting topics. And 2% inflation is about as crisp as it can get. If it's anywhere, if it's below zero, not good. If it's above like 2 3%, not so good. Yeah. I'm going to jump back to the Fed. Um, I think the market's just starting to realize that this is going to take time. Like they, I, like, I they might have to leave the rates up there for a while. And if inflation comes down by, what was it, 0.1% or whatever it was, like it's not going to take that. Like It's not going to be a five-year thing, but it might take a while for it to drop. And I think people are just like, okay with that now. Yeah. How, 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 uh, how long do you think they'll hold it at? Five five. If we'll it gets see. to five five, you're the wizard in that department. I kind of, I kind of <laughs> feel like it'll go all the way to the end of the year. I was gonna say six months. Yeah, but I mean, it could be longer. Pretty reasonable. Who knows? In Jacob, we trust. In Jacob, we trust. We'll, we'll, get, we'll, get, the, we'll get the next SEP in yeah. uh, in a month or so, and then we'll be able to see what they project on themselves. I think mm-hmm. I don't know. I haven't looked at the the Fed Watch tool on the CME Group website recently, but I bet you it's come up substantially. They priced in a. Uh, I don't even know, 4% rate by the end of this year. And that is obviously not going to happen anymore. That is, I mean, unless things dramatically change in a, in a year. All right. So yeah. next topic here, the U.S. is on track to add $19 trillion in new debt over 10 years. So this is above what was previously expected. This is not necessarily a bad thing. This is not necessarily a good thing. I, I, talk to, I talk a lot about the new debt and like what new debt actually means for the United States government. It's actually a good thing in moderation. So this implies that the debt ceiling will get raised. Of course, it will. Mm-hmm. That will yep. get raised at some yep. point. By September, it better get raised. Um, but like new, dre- 
new debt in the United States actually just creates demand and keeps the dollar of reserve currency. You just cannot have debt that explodes faster than that demands, right? So 19 trillion in new debt over 10 years. I mean, you look at the last, what, five years and mm-hmm. we created, I don't even know how much debt in the last five years. And so- Isn't it like 10 trillion? Yeah, it was, a, it was a lot. It was a lot of debt that we've created in the last five, like five years. So if you double that and do the same pace, I mean, we obviously didn't die this year, but uh, that kind right. of just like, if you look back in history, every single major government has had some sort of change, right? Where either they weren't the reserve currency of the world, you know, at some, at one point way back in the day, China was the reserve currency of the world. Then you had the United Kingdom. You had all of these different things that were actually in the position that the U.S. is in today. Yep. They're no longer like that, but they're also not terrible, right? Yep. And yep. so not a bad thing. Not Just because thing. I'm curious too, I'm pulling up these numbers here of how much, how much debt we've added the last five years. And let's see, 2017. Yeah, there you go. 2017, national debt was 20 trillion. Today it's 30 trillion. End of 2022, $10 trillion. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think of like, what's, what's the difference between 50 trillion and 30 trillion? The numbers are so large yeah. that you can't even imagine right. what, what those are. And right. so right. either way, you're not paying down $30 trillion or $50 trillion in debt. So there you have it. Wow. Hot take from Jacob right there. Yep. There you have it. Okay. Yeah. Actually, Dan, you should take this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to jump in on this one. Okay. Uh, another thing that went on this past week, single family housing starts, nosedive, and building permits tumble. Okay. So- Housing starts, and um, I got to get myself organized here. My goodness. Um, listen, I was gonna, I was gonna make a couple comments on this uh, that sort of tie back here to the Fed. So when we're yeah. talking about, we're talking about single family. Uh, when we're talking about housing starts, and we're talking about building starts, we're just pretty much purely talking about how many houses are getting built and how mm-hmm. much demand is there for houses, right? So there's there uh, at least based on these statistics last week we're actually starting to see those things decrease, right? So the demand for houses and people who are actually committing to, I'm going to purchase this house with this build. You know, I meet with this builder and they say, oh, here's your dream home and we're going to make this house for you. The number of people who are having those meetings committing and then the builder goes out and contracts someone to build the house is going down. So that is starting to decrease. Now, I'm, my assumption here too is that we're talking about rate change, right? So what we're saying is we're not saying that Nobody's doing that anymore. We're just saying fewer people are doing that yeah. uh, every month than they were a month ago. Right. Um, my ties back to the Fed. I was going to tie this back in. <sighs> it all just it all just boils down to higher interest rates. Yeah. Mortgage rates are almost seven percent, and if you can't afford a your dream house anymore, like you said, then yeah. you're not gonna you're not gonna build it. You're not yep. even gonna start it. You're not even gonna go for the permit. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Two points ago and seven minutes ago, I had a good comment that I wanted to add to this. And now it's... Well, you, know, you can create a LinkedIn post about it. Yeah, exactly. You'll post about That's it later. Right. That's yes, right. Everybody will have to stay tuned. Um, no, but if you actually look at the chart of building permits and, and housing starts, it's mm-hmm. kind of crazy. It looks like a camel. Jeez. It's like this kind of wow. flat, like it's up, up and to the right still. You know, people are always building more houses, especially in a lower interest rate environment. The COVID happened and you did have this like spike down, obviously. But then like ever since then, it's just like this giant thing. And then 2022 rolls around and it's collapsing right back down. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 4.3% seasonally adjusted annual rate of 841,000. So it dropped 4.3% in a month, I believe. Wow, so that's big. 
I, I remembered my comment. Uh, part of what I was going to say uh, was just, it, you know, even as we're talking about these three different points, like we talked about inflation, we talked about adding debt. Uh, now we've talked about housing starts. We talked about the money supply. This hopefully gives everybody listening perspective for how complicated all this is. Like how many variables are actually at play here? Because I think it's easy to look, uh, it's easy to look at the Fed and, and, and even just be like, they should just have this figured out. It's like what they should just have this figured out and we should be able to get a soft landing. It's like, well, wouldn't that be nice in a perfect world? We could make that happen, but the world we live in is one in which there are so many, you, you have upward pressure, like yep. the, yep. for example, the retail sales, that's like upward pressure on the economy, trying to drive the economy forward. And you have the fed downward pressure saying, Hey, rates are going up, spend less, spend less, spend less. That's right. But the money supply is so high, you know, people are still spending from those, those cash balances. So anyways, you add in like regional factors too. There's real yep, estate especially right. is super regional. Um, like we have more people moving into the Fargo area with the new Amazon warehouse. Right. We're going to react completely differently than someone that doesn't, that doesn't have population growth. Totally. Like totally. Exactly. Right. It's like policies implemented on a national scale are undoubtedly going to have different implications, uh, implications from region to region. Exactly. So anyways, that's my, my tangent on that, but all that to say, there are not just one or two or three variables at play that are yeah. either driving inflation or moving the economy forward or downward. There is probably tens of thousands and we can't possibly know exactly how they're all interplaying with each other. And what you just described is the economy, the real economy. When you bring that into the markets, you have to think about how people will feel about it, right? There's a sentiment aspect of like, whatever, how heavily is inflation weighted when you think about like, market sentiment is it heavily weighted mm -hmm. not so heavily weighted so like are people actually do do people actually care about building permits and the S&P 500 yeah and if you're only watching that because you're like oh this is terrible we're in a recession we're in a recession and you miss out on a 20% rally in the stock market because the stock market does not care about retail sales that's what makes it really hard you have all these variables that play into the real economy then you have to actually watch which ones the markets are actually watching about which is all just the psychotic psychology of me you noah josh like pola yeah. whoever you know every everybody has their own opinions and you make a collective market psychology fascinating yeah okay the ohio chemical spill largely overshadowed by these stupid balloons <laughs> <laughs> yeah so anyway that's uh that's my hot take on that one the balloons like what are we shooting down $12 balloons with $400,000 missiles? I don't know. Well, let's, let's maybe take and actually look at the balloon real quick. Like whatever I, I can get, like I can get behind shooting down one that you're like, Oh, this thing is definitely a Chinese spy balloon. But now we're just shooting down balloons because they're balloons in the sky. seems a little crazy. All right. Anyway, my tangent on balloons is done. The there's this train in Ohio that tipped over and apparently they started this thing on fire to try to get rid of the hazardous chemicals. And I forget what the chemical is, like chloride vinyl or something like that. And it's supposed to be really bad. Oh, vinyl, vinyl chloride. Yep. A toxic flammable gas. And there you have it. That goes into the atmosphere. I actually just watched a video this morning about acid rain in Ohio that was actually stripping paint off of vehicles because of this stuff. So like, holy cow. Yeah, this is, this is kind of a really bad thing. Then I yeah. think there was, there was some people getting sued about it. It was a uh, North folk southern that was the that was a real mm -hmm. line so yeah crazy yeah this whole situation too i honestly don't have 
I don't have many comments to make on this because this is one of those situations where there's a lot of, lot of news about it, a lot of information on it. In some sense, it hadn't been reported on like too intensely for a while. And now it's kind of being reported on and now the details are all fuzzy and, and then yeah. you, it gets comp- conspiratorial. And then, I, I mean, there's, there is so much going on here, but I think, yeah, needless to say, you never want a train crash and you never want a train crash with hazardous like chemicals. hazardous chemicals. Yeah. Like plain and simple. There's a side saying that the burn off is super standard and they do it all the time when a train tips over and they have to burn this chemical off. But then there's a side saying it's the Chernobyl of North America and it's yeah. just, yeah, I don't, I'm and no it's scientist. Definitely somewhere so in the I'm, middle. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. No, there you go. I mean, trains. Okay. We're going to move on to the win of the week, which I think yeah. this is actually pretty fascinating. Airbnb, if you're not familiar with Airbnb, everybody should be. You should be, that's um, right. It released its like first profitable quarter ever. And so this is kind of like one of those COVID stocks, the Airbnbs where you can go and rent a whatever. It's not a hotel, but it's disrupting the hotel business. It's like the Uber of taxis. It's the Airbnb of hotels, right? And so they released a, a first profitable quarter, which in this market, is highly valuable. And I think they popped to like 12, 13% or yeah, 12, 13% in one day. Huge. On just being profitable. Yeah. Huge. And this is you, Jacob mentioned this before we got on this uh, or started recording this, but we were talking about Airbnb and he's like, part of the reason this is such a big deal. Uh, and I agree with him here. Part of the reason this is such a big deal is because you look at kind of the COVID era stocks, like, like Zoom. I mean, Zoom's a good example, right? Um, and a lot of these things had just wild, wild runs for a time mm-hmm. until the steam, until there's no more steam in the engine. It's like, yeah. it just, it ran out of gas, no more gas in the tank. Airbnb is one where, look, we actually have a profitable quarter here. And this, this is a company that has like viable longevity. Yeah. Because I mean, I don't really like hotels. Mm-hmm. I would rather stay in an Airbnb. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm taking, uh, I'm taking a big exam in about two weeks yeah. from the date of recording this. Uh, and I just booked like a little four day, five day Airbnb stay afterwards. Like w- when I'm all done with that test, yeah. I'm like, Hey, I want to get out of town and I can get a much more like debrief. Right. Right. Debrief. Yeah. But I can get a much more like quaint, almost like personalized, like place to stay. Where than if going? I just chose a hotel going out to Niswa. So like oh, the Brainerd area? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anybody who's never been to that area, by the way, so much to do out there. And if you like the outdoors, like particularly go to Crosby if you like uh, mountain biking, great mountain mm-hmm. biking trails out there. Go to the so mine pits. Go to the mine pits, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I'm not going to sidetrack us. I had a good story about that. I went out to go mountain biking there. The first time I wanted to go mountain biking, and so me and my wife drove out there, got to our Airbnb, um, went to bed, woke up, 14 inches of snow on the ground the next morning. <laughs> Couldn't go mountain biking the whole week, and it was October, so they they, they rented us snowshoes instead. So we went that's snowshoes. But anyways, it, that's that's Airbnb. I mean, they have there's the experience of an Airbnb. I think is just so different from a hotel, mm-hmm. uh, and it feels more homey. Oh, yeah, way more homey, way more comfortable. Back to them as a company. I think it's it really says something that now is the time that they're going profitable for the first time because it's just not easy for anybody to to flip that switch, especially now when money's yeah. expensive. And that's, yeah, that's a really good sign for that. It, it pretty much says that they would have been able to go prof- be profitable before now. And then 
they just realized that they actually had to do it now, whether they wanted to or not. Right. So a lot of the startup companies are like, we're going to burn cash and try to get as big as possible. And then we're going to cut all of our R and D expenses, our marketing expenses, like cut all that stuff so that you can actually become profitable. These guys were like, like the zooms and the Carvanas, like they were in the middle of like, we have to be spending a ton of money to get to be super big. And then we can cut our R and D and marketing expenses to get Mm -hmm. back down. And then they just, they just didn't make the cut. It just didn't happen. And Airbnb was actually one that they made it happen. So yeah, that, yeah, that's exactly it. Okay. I'm going to take this one because this is interesting. So this is what's, what went backwards in time. So the earnings reports, there's an interesting, uh, well, this is, this is coming from Babel again too. And he went and looked through all the uh, earnings transcripts from their quarterly reports and the mentions of certain words like strength, pleased, profitability, successful, advantage, best, and like recession, headwinds, like macroeconomic slowdown, like interest, inflation, all all like that stuff. So good and bad type of stuff, weakening. And you can look, it goes back to Q1 of 2022. And everybody in the Q1 of 2022 is like talking about how great things are. And then a year later in Q1 of 2023, literally it, it the the flip, the switch flipped like 180 completely. Nobody's talking about good things. It's all just terrible mm. things, which crazy. It's very interesting. Like losses, the mentions went up 2,418%. Recession, 763%. Jeez. Declined, 605%. What quarter was this? Q, Q1 of 2023. Wow. Which part of that might just be because they were providing commentary on 2022. Right. And in Q1 of 2022, they would have been talking about the year of 2021 which that might skew it a little bit, but you can even see it in the data of, of, you know, Q4 of 2022. Yeah. So there you go. This would have been when it released. So that's fascinating. Very interesting. That is super interesting. Yeah. And even, even stuff like advertising down 93%, the mentions of it. Jeez. Yeah. Retention 88% down. Yeah. Crazy. It, it is, uh, this going back to your point on, um, you know, how it's like markets are, made up of uh sort of like there's a sky psychology of the markets too uh what's interesting about like earnings transcripts like this too is the the board when they're releasing and making their comments it's like they will comment on things that they think the market is interested in hearing about so i think that's part of where you see this too is it's like well people are talking about recession they know people are talking about recession so they want to make comments on recession exactly you know people don't want to hear about advertising right now they want to hear about what you think is going to happen in the u.s economy and to in the global business. economy yeah. right to your business yeah um, so yeah, it kind of, a, it's, it's like when good times are good, it's easy to talk about what's good, When mm-hmm. bad times are bad, really hard to get your point across talking about something great happening in your, con- your economy or mm-hmm. in your company, excuse me, when, uh, people maybe want to hear like, well, what about the bad? Tell yeah, us about exactly. the bad now. Yeah. It's a lot of, a lot of sentiment plays into it. That's for sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of the week. This one is interesting, and it's from Packy McCormick. I always thought it was Patty, but it's Packy. All right, we live in a time that the golden age sci-fi storytellers from the 1930s to the 1960s could have only dreamed about. And yet, if you pulled the average person on the street, most would tell you that the things aren't looking good. And there's a stat. According to a 2021 Pew survey, 68% of Americans believe their children were not children will not be better off today than they are or in the future than they are. 
Wow. 68%. <laughs> that sounded like a sarcastic wow from me, but yeah. I actually mean that. Wow. This is a, I, I like have a, I, I find this topic very, very interesting because I find the type of research here, like the stat, for example, that he's referencing according to Pew Research, the 68% of Americans believe their children will not be better off than they are. I just think that is, uh, it's, it's so interesting when you, when, when you look at the data for the last even 200 years of where we've gone, where we've come from. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go back to the 1800s, for example, like I just give this as one example. You go back to the 1800s and you'll find that um, at that point, let's see, 1780s or 1810, something like that, it's estimated that 90% of the world was agrarian. So 90% of workers were doing agricultural work, feeding 100% of the world. Today, it's 10% of the population is in agriculture, feeding 100% of the world, and the world population is seven, close to eight billion. Yeah. Compared to, uh, I wish I could know the number. I, I wish I knew the number off the top of my head of the 1800s, but it would be less, less than, than half. Yeah, less right, than a of, billion. Of what it probably. is, right? Yeah. So even so, some statistics like that, it's just it's it's fascinating because I think. Kind of, uh, maybe go, this goes back to my last comment. When things are bad, it's easy to just focus on the bad. Like it's hard to see what's actually going good. And, uh, I think I made it a bit of a personal practice of my own to just like try to, try to spot like, what is, what is going well? What can I be grateful for today compared that, you know, that, that maybe I wasn't grateful for yesterday. Um, wow. Even yeah, 1930s to the sixties. The world that we live in today is probably filled with things that, that the sci-fi storytellers dreamed of and wrote about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, what do you think about this? That that's a really scary stat. I um, wonder. I wonder if in 2019 it was different. I don't think it was much different. You That'd be so? my take. I think it's probably higher today, but I wouldn't be surprised if it if it was almost just as high four years ago. I don't know. I really, I really feel like it could be lower. I feel like it would. Well, be I think like, it could be lower, but I don't think it would be substantially lower. Like 50 percent. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And like, yeah. maybe not even that. I, I think it might even be higher than that. Oh wow. Yeah. No, I would, I would assume like, honestly, I, I thought maybe this was some like COVID psychology too, of like people just got so messed up by like everything that happened from 2020 to today that they're like, no, the world will not be better in the future yeah. at all. I, don't I know. agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like you look back maybe even, well, but I guess that would be pretty recent to like even 2008. Everybody had that burned in their mind of like everything is bad because of 2008, even in 2019, probably, right? 2018, they're still like, like that's what they think about when they think about recession or like anything. I don't know. 68% yeah. seems incredibly high. Like I know my, I know my life will be better yeah. in 30 years. Yeah. Right? Like you yeah. even think about how, how quickly can I get knowledge? I can just go on Bing. And Bing will scrape the web and find me my answer. Yep. Crazy. Recency bias is just way too real. Yeah. 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 I wonder what the percentage of Americans believe that they are not better off because of the government. Would it be 68%? I feel like it would be. I almost, there's probably, there's got to be a direct correlation because there's a direct correlation between the price of gas and how well your government is doing. Mm -hmm. Like people actually, like people actually say like, that there's like they maybe don't say that there's a correlation there, but like when you look at the data, yeah. if gas prices are going up, faith in the government is going down, and then vice versa. If it, and it's like, wow, okay, is that the only thing that people are caring about? Maybe that's just because it's rising the Isn't fastest. He, yeah, it's probably an easy way. It's a very visible way to every block. You know, you got something to look at. Exactly. But yeah, no, it's crazy. It, yeah, my last thing on this too would be like, uh, well, one of the one of the organizations I like to follow too is humanprogress.org. Mm-hmm. I told you guys about this. Yeah, yep. Humanprogress.org. 
interesting. You can find stats like this too, where they just they, they post articles on like, hey, check this out. This new drug has now, you know, or 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 uh, there was a there was an article I found. I think it was like Zambia in Zambia, like they eradicated malaria, like oh, wow. declared it eradicated. You know, uh, like two or three months ago, something like that. Didn't see that in like the big headlines, but it's like, wow, you know, you you start looking at the stuff and you're like. The distribution, the development of these vaccines, the development of these drugs, even that along those lines, it's like, yeah, those people are way better off or will be and should be way better off like in 30 years. Yeah. Um, which is just amazing. So there's anyways. this, there's this company I was listening to a podcast on that. Everybody's going to think this is totally lame. It was, it was a, a Freakonomics radio podcast and it was the econo- economics of everyday things, hotel soap. What happens to hotel hmm. soap after you leave it there? Right. You like you use half the bar or one, like not even yeah. like whatever, use it once. Like what happens to it? This guy, and I forget what his company or nonprofit name is. He started taking all of that hotel soap, repurposing it, and then like sending it off to like Africa, like even Ukraine, stuff like that. And there was statistics on like the number of childhood or like, like deaths at birth. If people had soap, then that drastically like 25% like helped reduce that number. Yeah. Like, the number of deaths at birth. It was crazy. So like yeah. this guy, the hotels, it was actually cheaper for them to donate it to them rather than sending to the landfill. And then this guy just got a bunch of funding from the hotels, other places, and then he just turned it into soap, send it off. Unbelievable. Yeah. Such a cool story. But yeah, that's the type of things that those are the people to look for. You know, the stories to find too. Exactly. It's like just keep keep a bright spot, bright spot in there. And for apologies too, if I got the, uh, I, I don't remember the, exactly the country and I, th- I thought it was malaria, but, um, yeah, I was just reading about that. It's just fascinating though. Some of the stuff. So forgive me if I got that wrong, but, um, yeah, yeah. Look for the bright spots. All right. Key takeaways. Dan, why don't you go first? Okay. My key takeaway from last week was buy assets that make sense for you. What I mean by this is like, even when, um, you know, we were just talking about how like M2 money supply and cash balances are just, everybody's flushed with cash. In my situation, I was like, you know, I could use a little extra cash right now for a variety of reasons. Like in my, for me, for my wife, like we have a couple things shifting around right now. It's like the cash makes sense at this time. Six months from now, might not, but at least for now, that's what I'm, that's where I, I'm going to buy assets that make sense for me. So, yeah. No. Yeah. Um, mine is that everything takes time. I was talking about it a little earlier, but um, the Fed, uh, like they're still trying to, slow the economy down that's not going to happen they can't just snap their fingers and have it like nobody's spending anymore that's just not how it works so we're just kind of in the wait and see period right now where the actions that they took in the last i guess a year now um are still playing out and we don't know exactly how it's going to go um but it's we're starting to see what's actually happening and we're getting towards the end so hopefully we start seeing those rates drop and yeah. the inflation rates drop and everything. We all we all wish that Jerome Powell could Thanos snap inflation away, but he can't, sadly. <laughs> all right. And then so my key takeaway was 3% inflation by June, hopefully. All of the really high inflation month to month happened in, um, well, now this would be February, March, April, May, June of l- last year, which would be in the first five prints of the annual rate in January. Mm, so yep, yep. if you take the last seven months, so the seven prints that weren't those five and you average those out, you'd get like 0.25%, something like that. 3%. 
that means 3% if that keeps going forward at 0.25, that'll be 3% by June. So yeah. And that's just a factor hopefully. of CPI, C, CPI calculation. Just how yeah, calculate that's just, that's, yeah. I mean, it's a little bit off just because I just add them up rather than actually taking like price growth, right? There's just a little bit of exponential stuff there, but relatively close. Relatively, that'll, that's kind of what I'm gunning for. But if they keep going at 0.5%, that ain't going to happen. So yep. yeah. All Love right. It. Best part of last week. Dan, this is great. You this, already talked about your test. Oh, yeah. So I'm taking my CFP, Certified Financial Planner Test, and I have the, my, my first go at it in about uh, two weeks. And I scored a 78% on my practice exam over the weekend, which I was shooting for eh, like a 70 or maybe a 75. Like a 75 would have been great. So I'm very happy with that. But, uh, and I got two weeks to kind of push it to the end. That was the best part yeah. of last week. And yeah. that was yesterday. So I was... I was on another level yesterday, <laughs> about four o'clock. Dan was feeling his oats. Okay. <laughs> Noah, what was the best part of your last week? Um, I'm going to say celebrating Pola. Um, if you guys know Yell and you know us, you probably know her. She was the one that kept the office running for the last, as long as it's been a thing, I guess. But um, she's off to greener pastures, I think. Um, but yeah, it was awesome just sending her off and, um, getting to spend one last week with her and Audi in the office. Yeah. Yep. And literally greener pastures. She's going to NDSU. So go Bison. That's right. Green and gold pastures. That's right. Green and gold (laughs) pastures. And now we have Josh to, uh, take over everything. Right. Sitting behind uh, the camera. Yeah. Sitting there. He's our, he's our producer, in-house producer today. All right. My best part of last week is actually my worst part of last. Actually, I, I do have one. We went out to Devil's Lake, did a very good job. We came home with fish. So that was the best part of last week. But I really want to talk about this because this kind of, this was terrible. Last Tuesday, my truck like didn't start, didn't want to start. So I took it in. All right. Bottom lining, bottom line, it crapped out. I don't think it's going to be working very much longer. So I no longer am going to have a college car, which is going to be kind of nice. It'll last for 10 years. I know this is something that we've talked about in this office before, like Dan and Tom have both been like, college cars got to die after college. And so- there we go. My college car has died after college and it will, that'll be it. Yeah. Yep. That might be the end. It's but, I ca- but I caught day. fish. Yeah. yeah, that's right. But you caught fish. That's right. It won't be, it won't be that side of a day. Yeah. No, you're I, not that emotionally attached. I'm not emotionally attached to that junker. It just, <laughs> it just kept breaking. I, I was telling Josh uh, when we were going actually to get the SD card that I've had three cars in the last six years since I got my license. Wow. Yeah. Three cars. And each one of them has had major mechanical let's problems. Let's make it. Let's make it one car for the next ten. Now that's right. That's what I'm. That's what I'm gunning for. So, <laughs> all right. Well, I think this is a great episode. Um, be sure to like and subscribe. Uh, make sure to leave us a review. Email us at landlimitepod, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>